I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. Well done. I'd say we nailed that. You know why we nailed that? Why? Because it's first thing in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. I'm definitely sharper first thing in the morning. Yeah, me too. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the devil that has become the present, which is daylight savings. I, I will say it's it's been a couple of weeks and I don't think I'm adjusted to it in that I've embraced it. I've adjusted in that it's getting dark at 5 p.m. here. Okay. That sucks. It's just stupid. I, I don't think that should be happening. I'm I'm very much against it now. Yeah, me too. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not adjusted to, I get it, it's going to happen, but every day now at 4.50, I'm like, well, it's nighttime, bye. Like, (laughs) the fuck do I do now with the next five hours of the night? It is so absurd to me. Well, I guess unless you, well, even if you like going out at night, I mean, you're not really going out at 5.30 at night. If you are, you're one of us and you're having dinner. Nobody goes out anymore. Yeah, no, that's me. I am... The person who... Right. 20 years ago, you weren't that. Mm, yeah. No, I was not. I mean, remember being in the bars on a Saturday night when it was daylight savings time and it was like, last call, psych, we've got an extra hour. That was great. That was phenomenal. I don't think I was doing that in my late 20s. Maybe. Really? Maybe, but I don't think so. No, because by then I was already a lawyer. I had already mm. stopped crazy partying. We don't have to crazy party to be out at a bar at 2 a.m. I mean, kind of, in my mind. <laughs> well, maybe you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's crazy partying for you now? Uh, crazy partying for me is, well, a couple weeks ago when I went down to Palm Springs and went just a random night of going out to dinner and then going to some super random bar slash like dance club that was, I don't even know how we ended up there, but we like danced and drank. And I don't know if we got home at 10 PM or three in the morning. It doesn't matter. Cause I don't really remember getting <laughs> home, <laughs> but right. it was fun as hell. I guess anything that gives me a hangover, which is very rare or anytime it's past midnight and I'm awake. Yeah. That's the same here. I mean, for me, I mean, it was just like the other night for me, it was, it was, you know, binging one more episode of Grey's Anatomy. So I stayed up to like 8.30 PM. That was <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was amazing. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I've already caught up on Grey's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm just catching up. That's so funny. <laughs> I am kidding. I don't know where I am in that. I am committed. This is, this is season 18. You think I'm going anywhere now? I don't care how wow. bad it is. That's, uh, that's why I like the Simpsons. I think they're on like 32 seasons and they haven't aged a day. <laughs> that's a good point. Those South Park kids are never going to grow up either, huh? Probably not. I don't know. They're, they're not, yeah, they're not making them grow, are they? No. Wild. So how have you been? What else is going on? Um, what else is going on? Well, it's uh, a week to go until we're we're at Thanksgiving. I actually like that. Not necessarily like the holiday Thanksgiving, but I like that we can take a break. We might take a break from the podcast for a week. I don't know. So guys, if it's Thanksgiving and we're not here with you, we're here with you in spirit. But it, it's it's a time just to slow down a bit and give gratitude for what's in your life. And I like that. I've been, I've been getting more and more into that these days. So I don't know, maybe I'm gearing up to that, gearing up to you know, Christmas coming. I don't quite have my black Christmas tree. I'm going to get a real one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being the good Jews that we are, got to have our tree. Photo will be posted soon once I get the big pink bow on top, but it's not here yet. <laughs> yeah, I want to see your fully trimmed black Christmas tree, but you, you are keeping it like it's, it's, is it going to be year round? Like you said? No, fuck no. I'm not that crazy. Okay. But I mean, I am, but no, it's just now through the end of the year. See, and, and you know, 
Okay, hang on. I'm going to go off on a little something here. I'm going to go off on oh, please. the holidays and sadness and a client talking to me about seasonal affective disorder. Story of my life. Yeah. Right. But feeling, I think for my Seattle people out there, like, yeah, it's gnarly because you've got a season that lasts eight months where there's just cloud cover over everything and it's dreary. And, you know, if there's anybody in the UK, you know what I'm talking about too. And it's, it, it's not really seasons, plural. It's just a season of dreariness. And for a lot of people that does shift their mood, weather does change moods for sure. And it's something that a, a lot of people have asked me about recently with, with the daylight savings time change. Like, Hey, I think I have seasonal affective disorder. Is that a real thing? Like, yes, it's a real thing. It's also real that you just feel a little dreary when the weather is dreary. Right. I, I don't know. I, I think you're similar, but we've talked about the rain a bit. I, I kind of think of just like the season of winter is my favorite season. Like I, I love that it's, it's Christmas time and people seem to be nicer on the whole, not always. Right. right. And there's, there's colder weather. Sometimes I like to go to the mountains where there might be some snow around here. Like I love that and get into that. And it feels very festive for me. But there are definitely people who feel the seasonal effectiveness, that the the shift in temperature, the the shift in gray, the shift in their own minds, and that is real. Oh yeah, no, I definitely have that, and it's for me, it's not, it's not much, as much seasonal, and it's not, it's about getting dark early and like gray, cloudy skies. I could be in the somewhere tropical, and it's eighty five degrees out, but it's really cloudy and gloomy looking and it still, it just affects me. It makes me, yeah, sad. It makes me feel down, like heavy. Right. And I, so, and I don't care how cold it is. If there's sun out, then that's fine too. So for me, the, I, the <laughs> right. ideal is like, you know, I could be in the snow hanging out inside, but it's sunny out and beautiful and, and that's great. I'm happy with that. It's just basically whether it's sunny or not. It's interesting. When I lived in Washington, D.C., some of the days that just boggled my brain so much were when there was snow on the ground and it was super sunny and bright and the sun was out, not a cloud in the sky, and it was freaking cold, like 20, 30 degrees. It just didn't right. make sense that there's sun and sunlight <laughs> and biting cold. I should have loved it because it's almost my favorite weather. Yeah, I would prefer that there wasn't so much sun. If there's sun out, I want it to be warm. Like that makes sense to me. What about Alaska? Well, I, I don't live in Alaska. I don't really know Alaska very well. <laughs> <laughs> Idaho, Alaska. You know that one, right? No. Uh, if Mississippi were a brand new Jersey, what would Delaware? Idaho, Alaska. Oh my God, that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Or uh, do you know the capital of Alaska? Do you know? Anchorage. Juno, the capital of Alaska. Oh. <laughs> See, early morning, early morning dad jokes. They just, they just flow. This is, this is what we got. Oh, Juno. That's, I just got it. I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> Wait, is it yeah. Juno? Yes. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> you know how I am with geography. <laughs> and, and literalness. Literalness, literary, literature, liturgy, yeah, all of those things. Speaking of all of those things, we're about to hear all of those things from Sarah and what she's getting into. We sure are. Let's do this episode thing that we do. Y'all listen to this session and we will be back at you, with you, for you, to you, around you, all the prepositions (laughs) And breaking it down. (laughs) We've talked about how long it takes me to get to sleep. But I'm also an extremely light sleeper. Like my older brother and my stepdad both messaged me a happy birthday message, which is super sweet. But it was like 3.30 in the morning, (laughs) my time. So, of course, I'm like... All right, now I'm awake. (laughs) So I probably slept like, I don't know, three hours last night. Being in that heightened state of alert all the time. Yeah, always. Yeah. It's very annoying. (laughs) And I'm 
I'm guessing if, if their text woke you up, that means your phone is not on silent. No, I never leave it on silent because that stresses me out and then I can't fall asleep. As you said, putting your phone on silent makes you anxious. It keeps you in that constant state, that on guard. And we have a confirmation bias where we will see the things that make it true. Like, see, when son snuck out, that happened. See, that's why I can never be on silent. And you've had a lot of things in your life where being hypervigilant was necessary. And I think easing that a little bit is going to be hard. There's always going to be something. Yeah. So we find where we can carve out some space for you to try something a little bit different, which might be uncomfortable at first. Hopefully, ultimately, it gives you just a different neural pathway, a different way of being, and you get to experience something a little different. Yeah, I think at this point in my life, my main anxiety really is around anything to do with my kids. Over the years, I have been less concerned with like immediately responding to people, even including my family, Hmm. but my kids, my kids is always in the back of my mind. And then of course, just the what ifs. I'm going to be like those crazy old ladies that never enjoy anything because it might go bad. (laughs) That's from saying with the confirmation bias and the what ifs are, I mean, you've heard me say it, the what if game, play it by the right rules, which is what if positive things. Yeah. What if I go to sleep with my phone off and I actually get a really good night's sleep and I'm well rested and I wake up recharged and I didn't miss anything? Sure. We can add in that. I was immediately going to say, but, but no, yes, yes. Let's add in that. What if? (laughs) Right. And it's, it's addition, not subtraction. We're not replacing the other one. We're just giving it some balance. Okay. Replacing it won't work right now. You have too many things that have happened in your life to just go, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine. If we can recognize it's not necessarily about one or the other. It's about a little bit of both, and it's about oscillating. A balance. Balance is not that single center point. It's it's that range. It's a more tolerable range that we go back and forth in. When we go back and forth to the extremes, that's that's exhausting too. You know, I have to say that extremes, I feel, is is the only thing I know. (laughs) Extremes is the only thing I know is the wrong way of putting it. I'm, for the most part, completely in control of my emotions to you, to my family, to people at work. What, what's happening inside of me or my you know, heart palpitations or my um, bleeding ulcer, only I know this, right? So, so that's sort of my facade, which is I've, I've got this, like, Then there's the part of me that really truly is very, very rarely bothered by things. If something irks me or I don't like it, I use my words. I'm a big believer in talking. For me, I just want to deal with whatever is happening and move on. But deal with it in a productive way because that's how I am. And I think it's also a protective mechanism I developed because the stress of not knowing is really intense for me. (laughs) That sensation of just that uneasy feeling. I'm a talker. I just want to get it all out in the open and be done with it. Yeah. Let's move towards the uneasy for a second before we find the resolve on the other end of it, that uneasy feeling. Tell me about that. I really think it all just boils down to me, that need that I have to make everything and everybody okay all the time. It literally manifests itself in so many ways, in my OCD, in my the way I, I do things at work, total perfectionist and everything has to be organized and structured and perfect and everybody needs to be happy and taken care of and when that is not basically I feel like one of those cartoon characters where you just see them looking up and above them is just like question marks and asterisk signs and like all this craziness and I have to sort of like 
get it back in order. Yeah. Makes sense. Does it make sense? Does it make sense to you? Well, to me, it makes sense, but that's because it's in my head. <laughs> I don't know if I explained it correctly. How do you make sense of it? How do you understand it? Um, that I have issues. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. And I try, I try my darndest to not allow those issues to seep onto other people, but rather keep it as this is what's happening to me in my mind. I need to fix it or I'm going to have a heart attack because I internalize it, internalize it, internalize it. Yeah. I'll say it this way. Let's see how this lands. Yes, I see Mama Bear, but I also see little Sarah too. And thinking about your experience growing up, different countries moving around, the cults and what happened there, all that, that formative stuff, just things that were completely effed up completely effed up and out of my control and out of your control what strikes me is i just want to say man to that little sarah version of you i'm really sorry that you grew up in a way where you didn't feel safe where things just were not okay and you didn't feel okay and you didn't get to experience what it's like to feel taken care of in a okay safe way. Thank you for that. And it actually has a big impact when you say it like that, because it's a sad thing. If I think about me as a little girl, my heart was broken so much as a child. That's the biggest feeling I remember. There was all the horrible, the abuse, the just cult crap that you have to find places for as a small child. But it was the abandonment by my parents overall, when I was in trouble, when I was sad, when I was upset, they just weren't there or they didn't care or they sent me back to be lined up and beaten with the rest of the group. It was this mindset of nobody protected you. Nobody even tried to protect you. I had moments with my father but he was kind of like the the wild child. <laughs> he joined the cult only because he was madly in love with my mom. And she told him she wouldn't marry him unless she he joined. And then he he just sort of flew under the radar because of his skills in accounting. Nobody bothered him. Nobody told him what he could and couldn't do. So he kind of had a bit of weird leeway that most people didn't have. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in for a second and say, yeah, and that's not okay. No, nothing is okay about this. No, you can intellectualize it and you can understand it. And like, yeah, hippie parents, no one protected you. No. You did not have the experience of, ah, okay, someone else can drive. I know I'm okay. I know I'm safe. Yeah. Every time my kids text me, even if it's just for $5, that even is impactful to me. You know, just the fact that I'm being that parent to them, or I can be, or I, or yeah, I am that parent where a child can say, Hey, I want to go to Seven Eleven with my friends and buy some candy. Can I have some money? And I actually answer the phone. I actually send the money. It's all these little things that speak to what exactly what you're saying. How would you parent little Sarah? Hugs, <laughs> you know, just tears. I cried so much in secret always as a child. I have interesting reactions to anger and stress. I either cry or I just walk away. I haven't really found that happy in-between place where I don't get emotional and I don't just get completely silent and just be like, mm hmm What you're doing is protecting yourself even now. Because what we're talking about, you can easily tap into the heartbreak, the heartache, and break down. We've scratched that, and we'll come back to that. And it's something that I'm going to reference quite a bit as we work. Because your ability to parent somebody is unparalleled. 
you are an amazing parent to your kids. And it came from what you didn't get as a kid and what you had to do for your siblings and to change your situation. And again, at some point, we're going to look at what it would be like to, to parent little Sarah, what you didn't get and didn't experience. Because a lot of what we're talking about now, about how to be okay with things that are unknown or uncomfortable or needing things to be just so, that OCD or that anxiety, that's all born out of your experience, your early experiences and what you had to do to survive, literally. So again, what you're even doing now as we talk about this, like you're staying a little ramped up, that's okay. I'm not going to bring you down so we can get down. Like I'm breathing. <laughs> yeah, I see that, right? It's okay. We're flexing this muscle and we could touch it for a second without having to dwell there. And it's not the floodgates. It's not the file cabinet like that Bruce Almighty opening up. It's just, yeah, we can touch it sometimes and recognize it's there. And this is part of the healing. Yeah. And in fact, what I'm about to tell you, it leads directly back to this. It's all related to exactly what you just said was little Sarah and what, whatever I did to protect her. I had to figure out a way to protect this tiny little child from all the bullshit that was going on. You know, I'm sure every child has things where they have to teach themselves, okay, I didn't like that and I'm going to react this way. For me, obviously, we have a big giant drawer of the moments I had to say, okay, what am I going to do here? How am I going to protect myself from feeling that emotion again, because it was too painful most of the time. Quickly to nowadays, big Sarah. <laughs> Remember how I told you we were, our reviews were coming up? So I got my review day after I talked to you of last week. There's four levels of rating. There's not meeting, underperforming time to go, needs improvement, meets expectations, and then exceeds expectations. And meets expectations for you. How do you take Not that? Not good enough. Yep. Uh -huh. That's ridiculous. Uh -huh. No, I would be completely disappointed in myself if that was the case. <laughs> it's like good enough. Right, eh, right. Who wants good enough? Exactly. And then it's either that or excellent. Like what about just damn good? Well, literally all of those things you just said I could read you direct quotes from every partner. Amazing. Couldn't live without her. Best hire since the beginning of our firm. Of course, this is very flattering and I love it. But me personally, I'm a, I like to grow. I like to learn. I like to get better. There's always something I can learn. And I put together a whole two-page PDF of where I felt I had weaknesses, my plan to increase my skills. Is that, is that a normal part of a review? No. <laughs> this is me. Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super weird like that. This, to me, is the only reason to have a review. You Sure, it's wonderful, amazing, fantastic to hear how awesome you are, but... If I'm being reviewed, I, I want constructive. You can say criticism. It's, it's criticism is not a bad word. No, you're right. You're right. But technically the criticism came from me. Like I was criticizing myself, right? So to me, it's more of a strategy, you know, so I have a whole outline. So review time comes, my review is for exceeds expectations. Just that was it. The review should have literally been, you're doing great. Keep at it. Well done. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, we sit down and they both just like, yep, you're doing great. You're amazing. Exceeds expectations. And then manager one, I would like to um, go over a few things that I, I believe Sarah needs to work on. So I'm like, sweet, she probably read my big old document and she's going to help me with a plan to get all this stuff done. And I'm like all excited. Nope, none of that. I, I literally felt like I was in the twilight zone. Manager one writes in my, and this is on my permanent record. Be mindful of your tone 
in meetings, particularly that you don't come across as rude, prideful, or something else. If this is a one-time instance, which I, in my mind, believed that it was, I'm not worried about it. If this is something she's hearing from multiple people and I really am an asshole, I definitely want to know. <laughs> so I said, okay, I hear you. Can you please give me an example? Can you tell me a situation in where this occurred, in where you received feedback? I would never on purpose hurt, anger, stress out, offend anybody. Sure. So this at the moment is important to me because either I'm just completely clueless or it is this one isolated incident that is now part of my permanent record as something that I do consistently. And I'm like, can I suggest that perhaps this is relating to the instance where I was in a meeting with a coworker? And she was like, well, yes. And I said, okay, so explain the situation. This was a one-time thing that happened and Everybody has been talked to. Coworker has admitted whatever she heard was what she heard because certainly wasn't the case. And it was over. Manager one got super defensive and kind of like when parents say, when kids say, why? Or why do I have to do that? And the parent says, because I said so. That's kind of how I felt. And it made me so pissed off. Like, I felt pissed. This was gossip and conjecture being whatever memorialized as a thing. It happens to me very rarely, but like white. I see white when I get angry. It was shocking. And then it got even worse. Then she starts criticizing me for being too good at what I do. You cannot criticize me for doing something too well because you don't know how to do it. I know I'm sounding like a total bitch, but this is exactly how I was feeling. Well, and look, you're talking to your therapist. I love this. This is you getting upset <laughs> and you expressing yeah, your frustration. Like, yeah. Really upset. I was this close to just saying, okay, we're done here and closing my laptop and walking out. I was done. And the only thing that stopped me was the fact that I shouldn't actually care about what she's saying on a professional level. It doesn't fucking matter what she said. It doesn't matter because the people who matter don't care. Like my dad used to say, those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind live my life by this. Yeah. And you're allowed to be pissed. I, I felt like it was the first time I ever had a totally grown up reaction to that amount of emotion being felt where I didn't start crying. I didn't say we're done and close my computer and walk out. I sat there and I, and I talked to her and I asked her questions. I left that review so pissed off when I should have left that review very happy. I've worked my ass off. Everybody has appreciated the work that I've done. The end. Yeah. Pissed. Now I'm going to let you talk while I breathe. <laughs> Good. Okay. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. Cause I was, I don't want to stop you. I, I want to let you get this out because you need to. And I like this for you. I actually think this review was amazing for us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A couple of sessions ago, when we were talking about coworker thinking I was prideful, you said, well, are you? And my instant response was, no, of course not. I'm proud of what I do, but I am not a proud person. I don't know if that was correct because I feel like either I have a huge ego and a big ass problem that I never knew I had all these years of my life or something else going on. What you just said is a wonderful mechanism by which we can grow. The fact that you're able to say, am I prideful? 
if you lose that mechanism, you lose the ability to grow at what you're doing objectively. Mm -hmm. I still, to this day, kind of look at, okay, well, as a therapist, was that the best approach? What, what could I have done differently there? That's how we grow. Yes, absolutely. When you don't have that mechanism, then you become prideful. Then you become arrogant. Okay. And I don't think that's you. No. So I, I, I like that you were able to, to kind of take that in for a second. And there's something, look, you and I are going to be referring to this, to this review for a while. I am angry now. I was angry then. I can tap into it still. I, I can tap into it still, but I am not still angry, actually. I am angry when I start talking about it. Yes. Okay, so yes, maybe exactly. that means I'm still angry, but like I'm not feeling the anger. There's so much to hit there. I mean, this is, this I know. is rich. I love I know. it. And, and I think in time, you will look at this review as, wow, this was a really great experience. And you, yeah, you rock. Everybody knows it. And I will say- Manager- to a degree, is threatened by you. There's some threat there, and she's responding to that. And it is out of your control. <laughs> it is out of your control. It is not your job to make her feel better about you being there. But it affects me. Yes, My it does. permanent record now has gossip memorialized on it. There's the anger coming Oh, back. I mean, what is, what, oh my God. Uh-huh. Yes. And even in high school, I didn't put up with that nonsense. Yep. And you didn't have control over that. And a lot Ridiculous. of what has happened to you in your life, you didn't have control over. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose it, yeah. Pop quiz, that four-page PDF you had, what do you think that was about? I, I, I don't know. For me, it's, it's, my my personal progression. That's what I was outlining there. How I want to improve. How I want to improve. I'm going to set set up a four-page PDF to show them how I want to improve at my review. That is called control. But control of me or control in a bad way? It's not bad or good. Not in a bad way, negative, in a negative connotation. I'm not going to say negative either. I'm going to say it's it's okay. been an effective way for you to control your environment, your situations. Okay. And to a degree yourself. And what threw you the most in there was when the manager did what she did and, oh, shit, I don't have control. What's going on? And here's the what I think is the worst part. I'm being misunderstood and misrepresented. Misrepresented 100%. Piss me off. And that PDF <laughs> is all about here, I'm controlling this situation. I'm controlling this. So I know what to, so I know, like, I'm good. <laughs> and you weren't because it became out of your control, which historically is very scary and threatening and, not and disastrous. Good. And yes. disastrous. Absolutely. So you've had a lifetime of mm -hmm. being in control. I'm setting out a path for myself with clear, constructive, relevant goals. That's true. And this was a review of your performance over the past year, not where you want to be in the future. And, and why it went south, so south, is because that, that sense of control that you thought was going to be there, that you thought had, was not there. And then being misrepresented, like, whoa. And I, I could see you going into mama bear mode. Of myself. Yeah. What sucks and what bothers you, clearly. Not everybody follows those rules. Not everybody does that. This is an official review. Okay, you are here with me as an official person who is reviewing me officially. I mean, even right there, cortisol level just spiked. You got back yeah, into sorry, that. Sorry, like, I really need to stop talking. No, you don't have <laughs> to apologize. This is okay. It's actually healthy. This is your emotion it's coming bleh. out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Get this shit out. When you don't get this out, it eats you up. And you will have all sorts of fucking digestive problems and all other sorts of problems. Trust me, I do. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you do. I can I can sense it just by how what your system is doing. But this is the angriest you'll ever see me. 
So what I'm feeling or what I was feeling at the time and what I'm still diving into or accessing is less anxiety and more just pissed. Like, I don't even know how to explain that feeling. I understand this very, very well. You're tapping into that anger now that's still real. That'll take a little while to, to discharge. Get the shit out. Absolutely. Otherwise, it eats you up. So I love it coming out. Like I said, we're going to refer to this for a while now because it, yeah. it did get you charged up. It does go back to childhood for you, being misrepresented, not having control. And it's, it sucks and it's horrible. And the mama bear mode that you go into is how you often deal with this anger that comes up. So I, I see you getting riled and I think that's fine. And how you mama bear handle it, even if you go into that da, 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 da mode, fine, that's okay. The worry. Yeah, I mean, I ha- I was worried up until I spoke to my actual boss. And he was like, yeah, I don't know why that happened. That should never have happened. Yeah. In this instance, I feel like it was to co-worker personally. Because it was only her. Right. I hold myself to a certain standard because of my job function. So when you come to me as a manager, you don't get to make personal, stupid, dumbass mistakes, because it's not okay. You know what, though? I know. They do get to. They do get to. I know. But they shouldn't get to. They have one job. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what sucks about it? Everything. (laughs) Yeah. We don't have any control over that. I know. And I love my job. I love my job. So for me to want to close my computer and walk out, that's pretty over the top. Well, and that tells me (laughs) that it's that threat to not okay. I got misrepresented. I got attacked. This isn't okay. I'm going to protect myself. I just got pissed. Right. And this, well, look, again, it's a gift because you and I are going to get to learn from this. Yes. We'll talk (laughs) about this probably next, the next few weeks, right? There's, there's a lot here. And I I think that it's something that we will use, we will learn from, it will be a gift. And for right now, it sucks. I'm sorry that happened. And you got triggered and it became bigger than this thing. It did. This thing, because you got triggered, it's bigger than it is. Okay. And maybe tomorrow morning when you're on the flight, you can leave one of your bags at home, metaphorically. The work bag, leave it here. Yes. In fact, that is my specific goal for this trip is to just completely enjoy my family and not think or worry about anything. That is my goal. I think a big part of doing that is going, wow, I just spent an hour venting to Doug about this. It does piss me off. It's not fair. It's not okay. I will be okay. Yeah. And it was really triggering. It it brought up some stuff. And you know what? I'm going to put this in this bag right here. And I'm going to put this bag over there. In the talk to Doug about it bag. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to put a handle on it, but I ain't ain't lifting that handle. It's staying right there. I'm not going to fucking touch it for a week. Yes. And that is my goal. I am going into this absolutely with that mindset. That is all I want to do. Good. And I will say again, like, so you hear this, I'm sorry that happened because it sucks. It does. But yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of sucky things that have happened to me, probably not that big of a deal. (laughs) Well, I I don't want to put a butt on it to diminish it. Yeah, you're right. And it is that big a deal because it triggered, like you said, it all relates. Like before you even told it all relates to this. You're right. It has to, right? It has to. That's why why it, it, it stings that much when we're already holding on to it. So we'll unpack that shit next time. Yeah. And if we can pack this up, compartmentalize it, and leave it here, cool. Maybe you don't have to take that whole bag with you at all. This is me completely out of control, just so you know. This is like 100, 1,000% out of control, what you just saw while I was telling you that. That's my hit the top red mark. So mm, not I, I sure. I will agree and, and, and respectfully disagree <laughs> with that. I think that is 
that might be the ultimate red mark, but you didn't let it go. And I mean, you didn't blow. Because I don't believe I know how to, but I, but I'm going to try screaming into a pillow. I'm going to give that a try. <laughs> really? It, it's, it's part of the, and then leave it here. Whew, okay. Our, our bodies, our whole system holds on to this. Like I said, like, Ooh, look at the cortisol just shot up. Like your whole, your whole system is heightened because of this. And it, it recognizes this. It's a threat to you. When an animal in the wild is being chased by a predator, it will run for its life. Yes. It doesn't stop until that, until it's out of the way of the predator. Yeah. You're not running from manager as the predator. You're running from everything. Everything. I mean, you arguably haven't stopped running. Yeah. So that is very true. We're going to give a scream into the pillow and give yourself a chance to go, ah, and now I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going away from what I'm running from. Then we'll come back and then, then we'll unpack some more. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we are back. We certainly are. Here we are. You guys started talking off about her sleep, uh, lack of sleep and hard, not just a hard time getting to sleep, but how she's a light sleeper and sort of right. turned over into the analogy or the concept of the session, but also basically of her life is her hypervigilance. And right. if she keeps her phone on silent, then it makes her really anxious. And if I think you talked about, well, then we do that thing where it's like, well, oh, see, if I hadn't dot, 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 right? Like if I hadn't had my phone on, I wouldn't have known about my son sneaking out or it's all those things that are, right. if I hadn't. Right. And, and I have this so, such a strange thing. Like I want to disconnect from my phone and I'm like, whatever, right. I'm going on a walk. I can leave my phone at home. And then I'm like, well, what if there's an emergency? And then I think, well, there were emergencies before we had phones. The problem is now we have phones and everyone depends on them <laughs> to be able to get a hold of you if there's an emergency, right? So right. it's like, it's it doesn't really the whole, well, we did this before. I mean, even I say that, but it's not as accurate because things have changed. And so well, I- and, and with that, we're creating this culture of learned dependence and learned helplessness. Yep. where we rely so much on the instant gratification and the instant support and the instant help that we aren't able to rely on ourselves. Now, I, I realize that in some true emergencies, yeah, we want an immediate response and we need an, an immediate response for sure. Right. Absolutely. No one understands that probably better than we do yep. because we have worked in 24-7 crisis programs for mental health where it was life or death right. in an instant. So if it's two o'clock in the morning and you're sleeping and your phone rings, you got to be on and help somebody with what might be a life or death situation. Right. Absolutely. For her, what I was really hammering home about this was that heightened state of alert, that immediate response culture that we're in now, it means she's always in that place. That fight or flight mechanism is always in place, always on. She's ready at any instant. And some people would say that as a mother, you kind of always have that anyway, right? You keep that for your children no matter what. Right. I'm not saying turn that off and don't have it. I'm saying realize and recognize and acknowledge how exhausting that is and find places that feel safe to shut that down if you can. Right. Where there is a little bit of room here and there, there's right. a thing where you can put on ring certain, you know, my phone is always on silent, but I have like a couple of family members who can ring through at any time. Right. Or if they right. ring right. three times in a row, it'll go through something like that. So it's like, okay. Yeah. And, and you can also be diligent about how you check your phone. And like, right. I have notifications entirely off on my phone. Nothing okay. gets through period. Yeah. And I kind of go with, well, I'll look at it when I want to give attention to it, which right. don't get me wrong, is almost all the time. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very reachable person on my terms, probably because yeah. we came up in, in mental health in yeah. those 24-7 crisis programs. Right. 
I was deeply affected by that. You know, when I stopped working there, I would have phantom buzzes in my pocket thinking my phone was vibrating and yeah. I would like jump to alert and I would look and there was nothing. Yeah. Right. And you're now like with, with the DBT program you work with, you are kind of on call for people and it is life or death sometimes for them. For sure. And that, that, that's the other problem that people don't seem to understand is I'm not, I am. And also I'm not a doctor with a pager. If I'm at dinner and you decide that you're going to kill yourself and leave me a voicemail and you do like that will make me sad, but that's not okay or appropriate or anything. Like you don't get to hold me hostage that I'm, that I'm not answering the phone right then. Right. And I think for Sarah, what we kind of realized and what she was getting to is she internalizes so much of that, that she thinks it is her responsibility. And if yeah. anything does happen, you know, she, that's not okay. She needs, like she said, she needs to fix things. There's too much that's out of control. She needs that for herself. And that's for me, highlighting that for her is recognizing that that is exhausting. It's taking up a lot of her energy and she's never really been in a place in her life where she's felt safe and taken care of. So she didn't have to be that for herself or for everyone around her. Right. And I think, Oh, one thing you said was you said balance isn't a single center point. It's a range. Right. Yeah. Which yes, absolutely. But I think people look at balance and they think of like a seesaw and that point in the middle. And that's not what it is. Right. I love the seesaw visual because it's not going from one side to the other and like, well, it goes up, then it goes down, but you know, but it balances out. <laughs> what does that mean? And that's right. what she said about extremes. Like extremes is the only thing I know. Right. Right. And right. that's what we're getting at is if you think of like two people on a seesaw going up and down, right. And then stick you standing in the middle of the seesaw. If you're in the dead center, you probably won't move and you're fine. But life doesn't work that way. You move a little to one side or the other. But right. if you move a little to one side, then you're going to have to course correct and go back to the other side, you know, and, and it's right. just kind of going back and forth. And that, that, like I said, that, that range is, I think where real balance is. It's not, it's not that center point and it's not the extremes of way up, way down. Totally. She was talking about what she looks like on the outside versus the inside. And I was in my mind, I was like, oh, so her external facade because she was talking about having like heart palpitations and a bleeding ulcer and, and all of this stuff and internalized, as she said, is, is just nuts and shambles. But externally, it looks like she's very rarely bothered. She's just right. fine. She's keeping it all together. Yeah. That's what she's saying. That's, that's the facade and, and the protective mechanism that she can just handle it, deal with it, not look like anything's going on. She was saying how like she's rarely bothered right? and it's her protective mechanism is like deal with it, get it all out. You guys talked about the anxiety and the unease of not knowing and her needing to make sure that everyone and everything's okay. Right. And so she was saying that and that truly her existence is she's sort of unflappable, like rarely bothered, which then she was like, maybe am I? I'm not sure that this is, this is really how she is. And that's true. And also she kept saying, this is as angry as I get. This is as, as out of control as I get. And at some point you questioned her like, yes, until, until you see the next level, you don't know. Right. Right. Like we have no idea what may set you off. Right. And she was even saying like, I do all these things. I, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I like things organized, I like things structured you know, she calls it her OCD. And she said, I, I do all these things because it makes me feel like happy. And that's, that's where I talked about control and, and structure. Right. And she kept saying like, does that make sense? What do you think? Does that make sense? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm a therapist. Of course it makes sense, but does it make sense to you? And I kept saying that to her. And eventually she went, well, yeah, I've got issues. Like, okay, what does that mean? Like, oh, well, I'm going to have a heart attack someday. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? And she got to it, even though, you know, we joked about it, like, right, that's, that's kind of you becoming that mama bear early in your life through the cult experience. And when things weren't okay, and how things were, and she's like, yeah, they were completely, you know, effed up and out of my control. Like, 
okay, that's where it came from. And really like getting it for her was she felt so heartbroken and she felt not safe and not taken care of, but she couldn't say that. She couldn't feel her feelings. She, she had nobody that, that would hear that. Right. And anybody that would like her, her siblings, she was spending too much time taking care of them to really emote and, and commiserate on, on their feelings because it also wasn't safe to express that. Right. Yeah. And I think when you said to her, I'm so sorry that you grew up feeling so unsafe and she was sort of mm. acknowledged that that impacted her. She didn't, I mean, she got a little softer. She didn't go to the emotion piece of it, but she said like, right. yeah, I can feel sad for the little girl. And I, oh my God, I mentioned this before, but when anyone says to me like, well, Meredith, your little girl, I'm like, <laughs> like, any mention right. of me as a little girl or my little girl or who protected my little girl, I'm just like, it automatically just like guts me. And it's just something about thinking about little girls and us being little and I, you know, what it was like is, I don't know, it's just so heart wrenching. Also, just cause I think about how adorable I was and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I know you were so cute and innocent back then. I know. <sighs> That is a bit of, of what we were getting at, too, in terms of, you know, I said you've got a chance to parent that little version of you and what you didn't get to experience and how that goes. And part of it, and I, I, I said it somewhat directly in this, I will say it fairly directly and indirectly in weeks to come for sure, is allowing her to feel what she's feeling. I've talked about it in terms of her kids sometimes, like if they come to you with something, you instantly want to solve it or correct it or fix it. Like her daughter that brought home a C instead of an A. Right. And it was, okay, well, let's look at the assignment. Let's do that. We missed the part where they actually get to feel the feelings. Right. And that's not something that, that Sarah has historically been able to do herself. So maybe in parenting her kids and exploring that and doing that, it will reparent her in some way and she'll get to have a reparative experience of having emotions. Well, and I loved when you asked the question, how would you parent, how would you parent little Sarah now? And she was like, right. hugs. Like that was literally basically yeah. all she said was just hugs. And I was like, oh, right. I think she said, you know, the worst part about a lot. Well, one of the worst parts about everything that happened is that that her abandon the abandonment by her parents the sending her back right. to be beaten right like that was just horrible yeah and that moment was such a powerful moment and she didn't just say hugs she also said tears yeah she was like hugs and just tears i cried so much in secret and my reactions to things now i get angry i either walk away or i just cry Right. And I think that that part of that parenting is to be able to just cry, to have right. those tears. You don't have to stay in that place, but have them and acknowledge that your heart's broken in that moment. And then, then you can walk away, walk on, not walk right. at all. But it, it's, it's important to have that emotional experience at first. And she kind of hit that as how she would parent herself, hugs and those tears, just allowing that emotion to be there. Right. Well, then she started talking about, about her review last week. So the review made me laugh so hard. It was just listening to her talk about her, however many page PDF that she put together of how the things she can do and wants to do to grow and change and be a better person, employer and uh, employee and right. all the things she needs to work on. And she said that even starting it when you guys were going through the four different levels of exceeds expectations and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, good enough. Ugh. Like, ugh. like makes her skin crawl. Like who wants to just be good enough? Meets expectations. That's the one yeah. she dates. Yeah. She's like, ugh. and, and so I guess apparently she, her review rocked and she killed it and it was amazing. And then I think it was that one woman, the same woman that she had had an argument or her friend slash coworker. 
Well, no. Okay. So there's, there's two people at work she's talked about. She's talked about her friend at work that she's had some issues with. That's, that's just her coworker. Then there's sort of like her, her superior. Uh, It's a manager. And some of what we cut were some of the office politics where she was talking about, I don't know if it was this week or last week, she was talking about, she was up for a manager spot potentially. And there was an older coworker, the one that's kind of the manager that really should be retiring at this point, but isn't. And she thought she was going to get the manager spot. And there was some politics, like the the one that's older and should be on her way out is clinging to, you know, the, what whatever authority she has and is often lashes out at Sarah because Sarah uh-huh. is very good and moving up and she wants to kind of knock her down a little bit and doesn't like the politics of she sees Sarah elevating and getting all this praise and she's... But it sounded like when she was talking about how the woman said, be mindful of your tone in meetings so you don't come off as rude and blah, blah, blah. That right. sounded like that was the same thing her friend had told her. Yeah. And that, that's and she said, and she talked about it and kind of asked uh, later, oh, are you referring to this coworker and me? Because we already right. talked about what that was and we kind of quashed it. We're, we're okay. I think though, there's something that you and I hit on this last week and we can hear it in this week too, that that is you know, some of how Sarah is. She will over-enunciate when she thinks she's being misunderstood yeah. or misrepresented. She wants to clear things up. And there is something about her that's just her. It's not intentional that way. There's also something about her, which you could hear in this in this session, that when she does get super upset, she speaks faster. She will enunciate more. Yeah. You can hear her. I don't know if you guys heard it, but you can hear her getting ramped up as she talked about it. Yeah, she, that's exactly what happens. What was she saying? This is on my permanent record. <laughs> she kept being right. very focused right. on, which I understand. And she kept saying though to you, this is as angry as I get. This is as out of control as I get. And I think her point to you was like that the most people in the world might not think this is very crazy or out of control. And this is as, this is as far as it goes for me. And one thing I think like, maybe you may have not had things happen in your life at this age where you will go scream bloody murder. You see somebody hurting your kid, you're probably going to get a little more upset or out of control or whatever than you think that your biggest height is. (laughs) Right, right. I even said to her in the session, nope, I don't think this is as mad as you get because you still haven't blown. Like that was the right. I still haven't screamed into a pillow. Right. There's you're still quite composed. So to say when somebody says this is as mad as I get, they still have some awareness. There's there's a thing called blind rage. You know, when you're just so out of control and so mad, you don't even see it. You don't get it. She doesn't allow herself to get to that point. She stays so composed and so controlled. So her being out of control, that wasn't out of control. That was very controlled. Totally. You know, in fact, that's that's part of the the enunciation. And that's part of being so clear when you're so upset and so frustrated that you put it out that way and you're very methodical and direct. Yeah. It is about control. And I called her on it and she she got it. Yeah. And I think that that. Like her anger is, she doesn't let it out. So when she's saying this is as angry as I get, and you say, well, you haven't blown yet. Her anger is so palpable, at least for you or I, it's so palpable. And yet, and yet it's, it's expressed in a repressed way. I I see that. And so you're having this repressed anger that is definitely not going to be repressed forever. It is going to blow the lid off the fucking tea kettle or whatever at some point and in a healthy way or not. Yeah, exactly. In a healthy way or not an internal or external for many people, it's a blow up where I think I've I've said it on here before. I've had clients that say like, oh yeah, they'll like flip a table. Yeah. They blow. That can also happen. She recognized it too, in terms of internalizing things, the bleeding ulcer, that's flipping a table internally. 
And it's something that a lot of people will listen to this and go, man, why is she tripping out on, on a review? Like, who cares? Whatever. So what? Right. Remember, we're in therapy. This isn't just, you know, the day-to-day of what's happening in Sarah's life. It's therapy. And what I'm looking at, and hopefully you guys can see it too, is when she gets triggered like this, we can see the response and it's heightened and it might be disproportionate to what the thing is. What gets triggered is something under the surface deeper. And that's the real wound. And that's never really been dealt with or processed. So things that seem inconsequential or not that big a deal will carry all of that weight with it. So when we get triggered, people go, well, why, why are they having such a big, strong response to this? Because they've been holding it. Their system, their body, their mind, their emotions have been holding it this whole time. Right. And I I think also because she's worked her fucking ass off for this job. That's another reason why it would be of such a big deal to her. Oh, sure. Regardless. And she actually even said this was the first time I had a grown up reaction to an emotion, which I thought was interesting. She said she didn't break down and cry. She didn't close her laptop and just walk out pissed regardless of what her I don't know if she knows what her emotion is. But I think the ability to grow, you mentioned something is like having the mechanism to be able to ask yourself those questions. So prideful, like, am I, am I prideful? I I just wrote, am I fill in the blank? Right. So whatever the question is, like having the mechanism, the ability to ask yourself those questions, like that makes you grow. Right. And that's, that's, it was interesting because even just looking at, well, what is the emotion? She several times will intellectualize like that's not the emotion that's what you're thinking that's you know how you want to portray and she even said when I said to her like yeah and and you're angry right now she goes I am angry when I start talking about this I'm not angry now but I mean oh wait no I am getting angry oh shoot (laughs) okay okay so I I, okay yeah yeah, I'm angry I'm I'm angry okay yeah yeah to me that was such a great moment and a lot of people and some therapists even wouldn't necessarily catch that. She didn't. And that's when I went, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you know, you're, you're still angry. So that she could understand that this mechanism that she was going into and this way of being that she's going into is anger. Yeah. She thinks, no, I got angry. Now I'm fine. I'm not angry anymore. I'm just this. And she goes into the intellectual place with right. such force. Right. <laughs> Then she keeps apologizing. Okay, okay, I need to stop talking. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you don't. Get literally, it's good. Like, get it out. Like, detoxify it from yourself. Get it totally. out of you physically. Because she's just like, oh no, no. Okay. And then she'll like jump back in. Like, it's fine. Talk. Get it out. I loved how um, she said at the end. She goes, "All right, so we'll unpack this shit next time." I was like. <laughs> That's a great tagline. Like I want every client to say that at the end of their session. All right, we'll unpack this right. shit next time. She just sounded a little gangster. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, especially, I mean, she said it like with five minutes in the session left, right? But it'd be so great if somebody said that five minutes into a session. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, wow, this is what's really going on. Yeah, we'll unpack that next week. So anyway, <laughs> as I was saying, right? That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. But it, it, it really is like her looking at how she wants to improve and me like not letting her stay intellectual. And, and yeah. it's when I, I thought you'd like this, when I kind of said, hey, pop quiz, that four page PDF you put together. What do you think that was about? Yeah. And she got it. It took her a second, but she, she got it. Like that's, that's control. Yep. I'm like, oh, right. Because that's, if you, if you put that out, if you get out in front of it, now you're in control of it, Yeah. right? But that's a way of going into a situation that could be unknown, that might have the what ifs, not feeling safe and giving yourself some framework and some safety. And lo and behold, it didn't go according to that plan. Something still happened. And what I love about Sarah, she still wants to work on her mechanism and improve not just from the intellectual level, but she's looking at the emotional level too, which is, I think, fantastic. Yeah. No, she's uh, yeah. doing amazing. Yeah. And uh, I really do want to stress that people that think that, wow, she's just, she's overreacting to this. That's what a trigger is. If anybody thinks that Sarah overreacted to the review, 
Think of how she was brought up. Would she be overreacting to being abused by a cult? No. Then this isn't overreacting. It is to the situation itself. But her system has been holding this for decades. I don't think it is to the situation itself. I don't think it's an incongruent reaction. <laughs> to, to somebody messing with their permanent record by calling her out on a review? Yeah, I don't think it's an incongruent reaction. She's, by the way, you guys, we don't usually use the word overreacting. We usually say incongruent. Sure, incongruent reaction or disproportionate reaction. Or disproportionate, yeah. No, she's not like, she didn't fucking go like AK-47, a whole post office of people. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have to go AK-47 in a post office. But that's what I'm saying. Her reaction is like, fine. It's like, she's fucking pissed. And she's still holding that anger. If that chick hadn't thrown that thing in there, she would come out of the review thinking, oh, I wish I'd gotten more feedback. I barely got to go over my whole sure. like list of things, but I don't think she'd be angry. Right. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But this was something, this was something unforeseen right. that shook her, that was, again, classically showed her being misrepresented and misunderstood. And she right. didn't like that. We, we will hit, I don't think we've come to it yet in this session or previous sessions, but I keep saying it's, it's a disproportionate response and there's something else that this came from. She will connect it in, in okay. weeks to come and you will hear exactly what this is about. Okay. It is not the thing itself. It's the mechanism. Sort of like, you know, when I said the, the example of a, an animal in the wild, if an animal in the wild has a threat to its life, it is going to run top speed to get away from right. the threat. And it will continue to run top speed until the threat is gone. Right. So in a sense, running at top speed is that hypervigilance we were talking about in the beginning about not being able to sleep well and staying in, in that heightened state of alert. She's been doing that for decades since growing up in the cult. She's been essentially running at top speed right. all the time. And it is exhausting and it is eating her up internally, the bleeding ulcers. And, you know, she said, I'm going to give myself cancer. Like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. And all of that is because her system is working correctly when right. there's a threat to it. Right, and right. And I keep hammering to her, like looking at, well, is there a threat right now? And is there a place where you can feel safe? What does feeling safe look like? I don't want her to drop her guard and feel, feel too vulnerable. Right. Not yet. But I want her to see the mechanism and how it's work. It's working correctly. It just maybe doesn't need to, or we need to kind of calibrate what threat really means. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear what the, uh, not excited, but looking forward to interested in hearing about how she connects it, how you guys connect it. Well, you will, you will indeed. We'll just keep doing what we do. You keep doing what you do and live your life. And take no shit. And we will see you either in a week for Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving. Sometime soon in the near future. And we'll all give thanks for that. Bye. Bye.